everybody. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. We're bringing you our view of investing via our instructions from Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, a whole bunch of great mentors who are out there doing what we call Rule 1 Investing, or also known as value investing sometimes. That's what we're doing. Sometimes, (laughs) yes. That's what we're doing. We just think of it as investing. So what we're trying to figure out, uh, how do we actually do that? Or maybe I should say that's what I'm trying to figure out and you're trying to teach me. How do I actually sort this thing out so that I don't make boneheaded mistakes? Oh, those are the worst kind, the boneheaded kind. I know. Really, really, it really feels bad when you do a boneheaded mistake. It really does. One of the reasons that we've spent 444 podcasts, (laughs) three New York Times bestsellers, and, uh, and, ed- and an education company that's trained thousands of people is that we understand from our own boneheadedness, and I'm going to speak for both of us here, honey, Okay. that not having a very clear path to walk down when you're doing investing is fraught with danger. If, you, if you're not walking a well-beaten path, it's full of lions and tigers and bears out there in the wilderness. And I think that having a 90-year-old path beaten down for us by Graham and Buffett and Munger and really hundreds of professional investors since is such an advantage. I mean, it's just a screaming advantage to have this vast world of possibilities narrowed down through the lens of, of this style of investing, this rule one investing style, where you're focused on not losing money. And the very crystal clear things you should be doing to make sure you don't lose money. The the most important of which is to stay within the boundaries that we're learning. You stay inside those boundaries of understanding a business and making sure it has a durable competitive advantage and that you think the management team is talented and has integrity. And if if you do that and then you insist on getting a bargain for it when you buy it you you're gonna be okay i mean i don't care who you are you're gonna be okay yeah doing it any other way is so scary like when you start to drift off ask me how i know i mean i obviously agree with that because i've learned the method and agree and the issues come, right? Like it's not, you're doing the Charlie Munger where it's like so simple, why doesn't everybody do it? Well, because the devil is in the details and discovering where those areas of near certainty actually lie can be quite difficult. It's, Which is I why really we've talked about this for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and really hours. I think it's, it's so not much obvious. like riding a bike. I really do. It's like riding a bike. Riding a bike is very, very simple. I mean, any six-year-old can do it. So it's not that there's all this difficulty in the simplicity at all. It's just that you have to learn to do it. I, I really think it's like that. I mean, you know, I mean, you can... It's just that you have to learn to do it. Yeah, you have to learn to do but it. If that were true, yeah. nobody who was an experienced investor would ever make a mistake. And yet, 
every well, like single nobody on, nobody on a bicycle would ever fall down it's like people who know how to true. ride bicycles don't fall down of course they do when you when? go out and you <laughs> i don't huh? i don't do you ride? You've do you fall down down off a bicycle oh my gosh i skinned my back off once when i was 12 years old yeah i locked up the front brake went right over the top okay yeah absolutely. i mean you get people what i'm saying down. here Buffett well, makes I, mistakes. To this day, he makes mistakes. He changes his mind. He sells stuff he bought three months ago. Wait a second. What do you call a mistake? Uh, I call a mistake... That's a good question. To me, a mistake is getting my opinion about a company wrong. Meaning... If I miss something that I wish I had known, that's a mistake because I missed it. Or mm-hmm. if um, if I had the information X, Y, Z, but then I took that and went to conclusion A, and it turns out that uh, that was poor reasoning and I should have mm-hmm. gone to conclusion B, then that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. something that would make me change my mind about a buy or no buy on a company. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't want to push this metaphor so far, but <laughs> it just seems to me that that what I would call a mistake in rule one investing is you violate rule one. So, Oh, interesting. You, you can I do wouldn't. a lot of things. You can do a lot of things that weren't perfect. Like if you're trying to be perfect, that's hard. But if you don't violate rule number one, I think you haven't made any major mistakes. Maybe I'm calling it major mistakes. I, I remember this guy I met uh, down in Turks and Caicos, who's a very, very successful developer down there. Mm-hmm. His mentor told him that if you just get location right on real estate, time takes care of the mistakes. Hmm. And, that's, and I, that's, I would agree with that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, it's as long exactly as you have right. a lot of time. Yeah. And if you're not using leverage, you have a lot of time. So the thing, leverage means borrowing money, right? So I think the same thing exists for this. As long hmm. as you have picked a company that has a durable competitive advantage, you're your mistakes will be taken care of over time. You will not lose money eventually. As long as you do a durable competitive advantage, and then if you were to add the second element, which is buy it when it's down. Yeah. Right? Buy it with, with a margin of safety. Buy it when the price is getting hammered for some reason. Yeah. As long as you do that, I think time takes care of it. Yeah, but uh, those are where the mistakes are. Like, oh my God, though, that's where the mistakes matter. Well, look, if let's put it in. Terms I'm confused. Of are you, are you actually trying to say that people don't make mistakes who are investors? No I, think, no, I think that it's just the use of how you're using the term. It's like good real estate people make mistakes, right? Good real okay. estate people make mistakes. But the kind of mistakes they make get cured over time by being in locations that were not a mistake. Okay. In other words, a mistake could be you paid too much, uh, your timing was bad because they don't want to lend you any money to develop it or whatever like that, right? Mm-hmm. And you can get hung up on a piece of real estate. Same thing can happen with investing. 
and that's why we try to buy this with a big margin of safety. So when you say Buffett has sold lots and lots of lots of companies, he certainly has. And I guess you could look at that and say, well, you made a mistake. And absolutely, you could look at it like that. But if you're not losing money, if you're not having a permanent loss of capital, then, you know, you're all right. You're good. Yeah. I think but that's it's still a mistake. I, I, well, I'm, I think you're going to, what do you want to call it? Do we, let's see. What, let's see. Catastrophic error. Um, because oh, okay. life is full of mistakes. Yeah. Is, is that what you're talking about? Because sometimes I think that you get afraid of investing because you're afraid you're going to make a mistake. And what you're oh, calling absolutely. a mistake. Yeah. And what you're calling a mistake is it'd be like if you're playing a sport and you're afraid to fall down. You consider falling down or getting knocked on your ass a mistake. Or you're playing tennis and you don't hit the ball perfectly every time. Mm-hmm. Then you you've made a mistake and a lot of people that wrecks them they don't want to play the game because they mm-hmm. can't handle the the mis- the mistake in that terms the mistake right yeah yeah that's absolutely my challenge in investing definitely i'm very afraid of making a mistake and what i'm afraid of is making what you just called a catastrophic mistake something that makes you lose money right and the problem with mistakes is that you don't know when you're making them, so it's very hard to know if you're, you don't intend to make the kind where you bought it at too high of a price, right? Nobody would do that on purpose, but it happens. Uh, and then there's the kind where it's not catastrophic and uh, you can sell it again for maybe a little more than you paid even, but it's not going the way you thought it would and so i would consider that to be a mistake because that's how buffett oh. describes his mistakes okay, but then then you're just but the, living in a pile of mistakes i don't know how you think like that and oh i thought okay we it. did a whole episode on buffett talking about um about his mistake with the airlines and how he sold mm-hmm. i can't remember what it was but roughly like three months later four months later and Mm -hmm. just straight out said like i made a mistake on that one so i sold them and that was super yeah but it was like a huge turnaround for him you know in just a few months Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. was so inspiring to me that rather than sticking with something because of all the work that went into it and all the decisions that he was able to shift his mindset and take action and i think for a lot of us it's very hard to uh, accept that we made a mistake <laughs> and take action oh, and man. sell. This is, this is and I loved subject. that he did that. Okay, and I don't think he made a mistake. I think he was being his humble self. I absolutely do not think the man made a mistake at all. He nailed it to buy those airlines as they were consolidating. Had we not had an absolute black swan event with COVID, those would have been golden investments, period. Because the airline Maybe. industry is consolidated. So I when mean, he comes out and he says, oh, I made a mistake, he's being humble. What he, what really happened there was that these four really good investments just turned to crap overnight as we shut down the entire airline system. And he responded to that very quickly. Now, if he hadn't responded to that, that would have been the mistake. 
So for example, where we are, we, we look at, okay, well, listen to me because I'm teaching you <laughs> right now. This is important. You learn this because things change. Mm-hmm. And when, so when we build a story around a company, we don't expect the story to stay that way true forever. Right. Right. And so let's say we go down the road five years and the story starts to change. The company doesn't do what we thought they would do or that there's competitors chopping away at the moat. Then we're going to change our investment strategy. Yeah, exactly. Because of that change. Now, there's no difference whatsoever in that kind of thinking if the change happens in three weeks. Mm -hmm. If the story changes, we're going to change the investment. And that's all that happened to those airlines is the story massively changed in about three weeks. And Buffett went, whoops, it's time to get out of here. Story's changed. And he called it a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. It would have been a mistake to not get out. So okay. I, I think, you know, the master is the master. I mean, he does not make errors like that. That is Warren Buffett coming in. I mean, if you looked at it without knowing anything about it and you went, what a colossal screw up. You bought all these airlines, then you sold them three months later. It's like, you must have really made a mistake, but without having any idea that there was a COVID disaster and that the entire airline system shut down, and Buffett realized every one of these companies is going to have to borrow to save its life, and then that changes. Yeah, I mean, what he said was so, that he stayed away from airlines for thirty years because he didn't think they were good business models, and then no, you're shaking your head. That, I'm you remembering what he said, so I'm. I don't know. You seem attached to it not being a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. Okay. That's because the airlines changed their model. They had a shitty model, excuse my language, for 30 years of massive price-cutting competition, brutal competition. Mm -hmm. And that consolidation that occurred in the airlines eliminated a great deal of that competition. Mm -hmm. They essentially re-regulated, but did it privately by just absorbing all the companies until there were only really three major carriers and Southwest. So you, you end up with a massive change in, this, in, the, in the airline's business structure and Buffett responded to that change and bought the airlines. I, honestly, if they didn't have so damn much debt, I'd buy them now, I'd probably he would too, if you can get a good enough price. But yeah. there's, they're, they're not the same companies they were over the last 30 years. No way. Which I think is why so, he's, yeah, I, yeah I, he, th- he agreed. He thought that they were not the same companies that they were. And that's why he was like, uh, okay, I'm going. And he didn't just buy one. He bought multiple. It was like really an industry bet. And, yep. um, and then said like, I thought that they were different. And actually they're not. And that was <laughs> interesting to no, me. They're <laughs> they've become utilities. That, that's he, and Buffett's buying utilities all over the world, all over the country. He's buying up utilities, so that's a huge change in the airline industry. And I think he's out of there because it, it was, I think, pretty big shock to realize how vulnerable these airlines are to a big black swan event. I don't hmm. think he saw that. Yeah. So we could call that Probably. if you want to. You can call that. A I'm not. I I couldn't care less. He said that. Well, okay. <laughs> Moving on. Jeez, to, I didn't know this was like such a sensitive topic. Well, what makes you feel sensitive about it? 
Is it because you don't want Buffett to make mistakes? No, I think that you're going to freeze yourself with this idea that sort of the normal process of playing the game is fraught with mistakes and errors that are are freezing you up, if they are. (laughs) So it's like, again, like an athlete that's afraid to hit the tennis ball because it's not going to go perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a really fair, good thing to keep in mind. Um, so how do we I don't know. It's that? interesting. So what I mean, what I took away from from that is like the opposite of what you're saying, which is that it really felt freeing. I think it's incredible that the best investor in the world made a mistake, according to him, not according to you, according to him. He was being kind. I get it. And shifted it like like reversed himself so quickly and what I think many people would do in that situation is like be afraid to hit the tennis ball like be be like I I, everything I do is international news I made a big statement with this I'm not going to reverse myself he doesn't care about that at all and just did it and acknowledged it and moved on and he wanted the money to be able to use elsewhere so that was like oh yeah like it's not so bad like I found that to be really really helpful and when I read his letters they're filled with him talking about mistakes that he made almost every year has a mistake uh of him saying I made a mistake with this company so you know what I thought was going to happen didn't happen so what I'm afraid of is that you take that so to heart that here's the best investor in the world making mistakes all over the place what's going to happen to me if I'm not a genius no because the best investor in the world okay so it's the opposite of that happening it's the opposite of that I don't think it's the opposite of that you've already said that it's the the uh, the fear of making errors f- freezes you up. You said that earlier in this yes. podcast. Yeah, that's okay. part of me. Well, the, well so how is it what that he if the does? Best investor in the world, listen, listen. How is it that the best investor in the world is making mistakes all over the place? How in the world would I be able to play this game? I think just, that's what's just the going way he does. I think it's I think it's the coolest. It's just the way he mm-hmm. does. He like. Mm-hmm acknowledges it and takes action and sells the company and moves on like he's not stuck in it he doesn't pretend it's not happening he handles it and goes to the next thing like it's it's part of the process i just if you want to if you want to use the tennis analogy it's like saying like no tennis player ever hits a bad ball if they're the best in the world every single tennis player hits a bad ball it's part of the game and what you do is you move to the next point so it's that i find that to be a very good analogy good. actually that's a good analogy what i'm afraid of is that there's a there's an existential problem here that maybe some of the people who are listening to the podcast are having and that is that if it's true that the best investor in the world make mistakes all over the place every year he's making mistakes and he highlights them in his letters what about the ones he doesn't even talk about <clears throat> Why well, I would don't I think be able that there are this? ones he doesn't talk about. Okay, whatever. What okay. it's <laughs> what I'm trying to get to is that there 
it's well known in the investing world that you should not do this on your own. It is fraught with risk. Every single financial advisor out there, and there are thousands of them, are going to tell you the same thing. And the SEC is going to tell you the same thing. Fraught with risk that you shouldn't invest on your own, that it's a fool's game. Even Warren Buffett tells you you shouldn't invest on your own. You should just go buy the indexes and hold them for the long term. So here we are with this world view that says investing is absolutely not for the individual investor, that it's fraught with risk. You're going to make mistakes and regret it the rest of your life. You shouldn't invest. And that's why this is indeed sensitive to me. I think you're on an existential problem. I think if you don't get over this, this view of investing is full of mistakes, you won't invest. I mean, hmm. you, the great people I who are listening, the people disagree. who are listening to this. I disagree with that. Ah, okay. Well, I would think you'd be on the other side of that, but okay, let's hear it. How is it that if investing is fraught with risk, it's safe to invest? Okay, well, those are two different things. Investing is, fra is fraught with risk is not the same as a great investor makes mistakes. So investing wait, wait, is- Wait, 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 I didn't say it that way. I said, if, it's in, if investing is fraught with risks and everyone in the world is telling you not to do it, why is it safe to do it? Well, my opinion is that it's safe enough. I don't think any investing is 100% safe, but it's safe enough because I'm doing my own research. I'm making sure I understand the companies I put my money in enough to where I'm comfortable and I check off the requirements that I have for any investment before I move money into them. And that is the many, many details that we've gone into. And then the part that is the emotional hurdle that you're talking about is the part that comes after that. Okay, this company is fab. I love it. It hits every marker. I'm confident it has a great moat. I'm confident that I'm getting it at a low price. Amazing. Okay. Now, what if there's something I don't know and I, it turns out, have missed something major, aka making a mistake? Well, do I do nothing, like you're saying, like you freeze up, or do I decide to go for it anyway? and find out. And I think there's two ways to go with that. One is you do it, you go for it with real money and go in and see what happens. And the other one is you, you know, paper trade, so to speak, like put it down and don't really actually put any risk into it and see if you were right or not. And I think both have value when you're starting out. And then the real money one is obviously the incredibly scary one. And that is where if you're somebody who knows that investors do not make mistakes and cannot be wrong, then I will never buy that company ever because I am not sure if I am 100% right ever. But because I know that great investors 
can make mistakes and things go haywire in real life. It gives me that space of like, okay, what do you do when things go go off, go, go a little bit wrong, when I miss something? What do I do in that situation? And we've talked for hours and hours about how inevitable that is and what to do in those situations. So I don't find that to be a surprise. It's scary, but if I can prepare myself and know how to handle it, and that's why like hearing how Buffett handled it was so helpful to me, um, then it's not a catastrophic event. Then it's just like, oh, okay, that happened. Well, I'm gonna sell it now, move on. Cool, we're done. Like I know exactly what to do. It's not confusing, it's not a surprise, it's not even scary. I have a plan, I can execute it, and I can find another great investment for that money. So for me, being able to make mistakes is key. Fascinating, man, alive. Okay, well, I, I definitely appreciate your point of view. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm just, you, you, I think you left out one piece that is Tell the me. key. Tell me. And that is that I think what you're saying is it's everybody could make a mistake, including Warren Buffett, mm -hmm. in terms of choosing the company, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But what Buffett says and what Munger says and what Ben Graham says and what you didn't say is that the key to surviving your own errors is buying that company when it's 50% off of its value. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's such a great point, except that what if the mistake I made was pricing it? And I think I have to be ready for that too. Well, even if you make a mistake pricing it, you've made a mistake 50% lower than what the market is doing, right? In other words, 50% you, lower you, than what the market is doing. Yeah, you, you're, you're discounting it by 50%. Well, let me, let me explain that further. Like, I don't think I can, I don't think I'm so smart that I can look at the price of a company that's at its historic high and say it's on sale. Sure, yeah. I don't think I'm that smart. I don't yeah. think the market is that dumb. So immediately it brings in what we've talked about, which is the requirement for there to have been an event that drives the price of this stock mm -hmm. down. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that lots of times. So if there's no event, then I am not comfortable that I have priced this company well enough that I know yeah. I've got it on sale. That's a so, great point. Yeah, definitely. So I have I try to avoid the mistake of of valuing the business, which is full of potential errors. Right? You get mm -hmm. the wrong. PE ratio, you get the wrong growth rate, and you got a, you're a mess. You could be in another world. Mm -hmm. I try to avoid that <clears throat> by making sure that there's an event that happens that has driven the price down. So I don't know that the price that it was at was at a fair price or massively overpriced, but I know that this event has driven this price down dramatically. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm in the ballpark of something that is going through a process that it's at least a price 
yeah it's at least a price where that's that's right where it's like the market isn't liking it and so you can see at least it's a price of negativity (laughs) yeah a negativity price yes and so i can make a mistake on the growth rate and the pe ratio and i can probably make a mistake on the kind of free cash flow the company's generating but if i'm in the ballpark of its owner earnings if i look and see what owner earnings are coming off of this company and i understand the business well then I'm not sure how big a mistake I can make here. I would have yeah, to be that's a, it fair. has to be a black swan event to like the airlines change when you had covid to have it become really serious. Because mm-hmm. I have already baked in this mistake and this mistake or the sorry this uh, event. And this event is something <clears throat> I know we haven't talked about it for a long time but we used to talk about it. it's got to be an event that's going to last long enough that it creates fear in the market, mm-hmm. but not long enough that we can't see the end of it. Mm-hmm. So we we find it like a year. It's got to be at least a year. You say like to one to three thing. years, right? And three years max. Yeah. Like I, I don't know that I can look out farther than three years and be comfortable that they're going to fix this thing. So that's the range. And if we get in an event that's definitely in that range. I see three years from now, absolutely 100%. There's no question they're going to fix this thing. Then I am very comfortable this is on sale. And that's the key. That, honey, is what I really appreciate feel comfortable about the event. Yeah, the I appreciate you saying that again, because that's, uh, you're right, like, it's such a, such a confidence creating standard you go into mm-hmm. a garage you go into a garage sale and there's a mink coat and it's got red paint on it and you look at the labels and you understand mink coat you understand the world of mink coats so you know what you're looking at you're not looking at a fake you know you're looking at real fur you know that there's a process to get the red paint out that you can put it through that costs a certain amount of money so this coat's going through an event <clears throat> it's got an emotional event attached to it. It's got some damage to it. But you look at that coat, and knowing the coat, you know you can overcome the problems of the event. One of the problems being there's emotional need to get rid of this thing because of political correctness. But you also know that there's a whole bunch of people who don't care Maybe about Maybe because that. of other reasons besides that. Let's just Whatever. Add. You know there's a bunch of people out there who don't care about that at all and will buy that coat for a thousand dollars but absolutely yeah and, and so, that's and such you know a you can fix the paint that's such a great example because it's something where uh i could easily like if i were <laughs> investing in a mink coat i would say the big worry here is that the market for mink coats is way different than what i thought it was uh like maybe actually nobody wants that anymore it's it's uh like a radioactive item that nobody wants to be seen right. owning. And right. I thought that there were people who were excited to buy mink coats, but actually those people have already bought their mink coats and they're they're good. They don't want them anymore. Right. And so the market has dropped out. So that's the kind of that's the exact kind of thing that I worry about. Like maybe I got this fundamentally wrong. Maybe you got some of it fundamentally wrong. 
but think about it. You're buying this thing that you thought you could sell for a thousand dollars. You're buying it for fifty because mm-hmm. this person is dumping it. Mm-hmm. And the only question is whether you can sell it for fifty. Mm-hmm. That's really the issue. Am I going to have a permanent loss of capital by buying this <clears throat> um, in a market? I think it's worth a thousand, and then I go and find out it's not there. Is it a market for fifty? Yeah. Yeah, fair point. Again, so you're right. Like the stop, the stopgap measure there is always going to be price. What did I pay? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we do on that in that regard to that, and we can do a whole another podcast on this, is we look historically at the major price changes that have happened when companies have gone through Mm -hmm. a similar major or some kind of major event. Um, for example, in the banking world, back in 2008, all the banks went through an event. And we can see how each of these banks handled it and how they were priced in the market at a catastrophic pricing for banks. Hmm. I would in, love to go through that. It won't happen again in your lifetime. It I'm will not, sure not happen what, again in your lifetime. I'm not sure what we would go through, but I would love to go through whatever yeah, you're conceptually, conceptually, it's brilliant. For example, just, just to tee this up, you know, a bank, <clears throat> we think a bank could be pretty on sale if it's available for 90% of its tangible book value. But there's a bank we're looking at that we wouldn't touch it for less than 70% of its tangible book value because that's how badly it got mauled hmm. in a previous Before. recession. Before, yeah. Before. So let's talk about that. Next yeah, time. well, we I mean, anybody listening, <clears throat> you, you're all thinking we probably like pre-recorded this or something, but I promise you we did not. We, this is straight after the Shake Shack episode, and we have just never gotten to Shake Shack today. Right. We'll get <laughs> so, to them ever. so Shake Shack, <clears throat> we, I have forgotten. Maybe we can talk about if Shake Shack went through an event. That would be interesting. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and- but yeah, I just think... I. I I always have to stand up for everybody who's afraid because I just think you and I approach this from totally different starting points. Yeah, because I'm and afraid they're going to be afraid to not get into it. Which is right. Miss out. Which right. is right. <clears throat> but I think so much of that comes from like it has to be perfect and finding out that you don't, not only do you not have to be perfect, it's almost impossible to be perfect. It just, releases us us fear mongers out there from uh from that constraint and suddenly it's like oh okay all i have to do is be prepared for it oh sweet all right cool i'm good at being prepared <laughs> we'll talk about that more that's a really interesting point of view <laughs> i love you and i look forward to chatting again these are so entertaining Sounds good okay you thanks everybody hit a you definitely hit a soft spot with that error thing yeah, yeah. Okay. more yeah. on that later okay. thanks everybody later, honey. bye <laughs> bye Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding, they really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. 
and really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.